Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I'm really excited to be with you this week. I mean, I'm excited every week to be in your ear. <clears throat> There's been a, a few things that have, I mean, this week it's been, they're always expansive. They're always delicious. There's always so much to life, you know? And in the process of my breakup, you know, I have a breakup recovery course and in it, you know, it, it sort of merges the five stages of grief with the five stages of growth. And as I'm in it and in the thing, I really see that I'm in about four or five of <laughs> four of five of the stages of grief at the exact same time. I'm not in depression, and that's probably because my relationship is not my life. It's a component of my life. But when I did get extremely depressed and sad after a breakup, it was because my relationship was my life. And I think you begin to learn through time, if you're not taught this at a young age, which I was not, is that when you make your relationship your life and you lose it, you feel like you've lost everything. But it is a component of my life. It's something that improved my life, that contributed to my life. But it was not everything. I have a purpose. I have a passion. I'm connected to myself. I have my own identity. And then when the relationship ends, you know, you start to feel the spaces that they were in and the tender spaces and all of that. And so the other stages, the denial, the anger, the acceptance, the hope, all of those are sort of happening at the same time and dancing between all of them and just breathing into the experience and just accepting it as it is. I often hear people when they're going through breakup saying things like, I shouldn't feel this way. And that doesn't have to be about a breakup. It could be about something that upset you with your partner or just in life with work or anything. But when we say I shouldn't feel this way, we're actually we're denying what is true, but you do feel that way. And you can't actually confront the feeling if you already create shame around the feeling. But if I say, I feel that way, and it's unexpected, but it's okay. Why are you here feeling? That's you talking to your feeling, just in case you were wondering. Why are you here? If you could speak, what would you say? To be heard, what would you ask of me? 
to grow from you, what would you need of me? These are all different ways of turning towards the thing that we are afraid of. And it's a real practice, you know, and it's one that you have to create mindfulness around thinking about how you think. This is relational awareness. This is this idea of metacognition, not just being a product of your mind, but actually curating your mind, thinking about your mind. If you are going through a breakup, I have the breakup recovery course, which is exactly as I said, it walks you through the breakup and it walks you through the expansion. And all you have to do is go to bit, B-I-T dot L-Y slash breakup rebirth. So bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. And just go there and register. It starts whenever you want to start. And okay. So this week I had, by popular demand, my good friend Amy Young on the podcast again. Now, how I thought it was going to go versus where it went was a real practice of letting go in that. It's not that it didn't go where I wanted it to go. It went exactly where it needed to go. But we were going to do a Q&A. We were going to like sit down, take a bunch of questions that I've received on Instagram and just like crush a ton of questions. And we got to question one. <laughs> so you want to listen to this whole podcast because it goes in a bunch of delicious directions. But what was so beautiful about it is as we were answering the question that we started with, and then it brought this interesting dialogue where we start to talk about male and female relationships, not just in the heteronormative sense, but where women are at today and where men are at today and just the Me Too movement. And just like it was such a beautiful conversation in my experience of it. And, you know, I, I always invite when we're having conversations about things that can be potentially triggering for people that we can't have those conversations if it's, you know, I, I think if you've never said something before, you might say the words in the wrong order in the wrong way. And so I always ask for your grace and your understanding that I'm always trying to do the best I can. And I hope that we got the right words in the right order for you. And if we didn't, that's okay. But I really hope that you can go into listening to this with an open mind and an open heart. I don't assume that anything's going to be triggering, but I just never know. And when you talk about subjects like that, like Me Too and consent and men and women and where they're at and what they're healing from, you often get a lot of emotional reaction, which makes sense. And in the psychological field, there's a saying that if it's hysterical, it's historical. Like if the way that you respond to something is not correlated to the actual experience, then you know it's old stuff. And that is the most beautiful thing to me because that's that invitation to heal. That's why someone can have an absolutely nut bar response to leaving a towel on the bed or like leaving the toilet seat up or down or whatever the way you want it because there's something in it that is so much deeper than just the act. And in all that is an opportunity to look at something, how we feel, a need that's not getting met, a way that we feel. Often in conversations and conflict, we get stuck on the content about the toilet seat. But it's what's below that that's really important, which is when you don't, if I, you know, I'm giving the example, I'll just continue with it. Like I asked you to leave that toilet seat down and you keep not doing that. And it, it tends to not be about the toilet seat. It's about like, well, I don't feel like you, you hear me. I don't feel like you prioritize me. I don't feel like you care. And that's usually the thing that's underlying the overt reaction. So when we start to look at if it's hysterical, it's historical, 
it's not shaming the hysterical. It's actually turning towards it and saying from a very curious perspective, what needs to be heard here? What needs to be healed here? And gosh, this work is so such a beautiful opportunity to have these conversations. And at the same time, it's scary often. But I also find that the episodes that I'm most scared to release are usually the ones that are most resonant for people, just like the one I released last week on adulting is hard about my breakup and the breakup ceremony that we did, the closing ceremony. And so I'm releasing this with a courageous leap. And wherever you listen to this podcast, if it resonates with you, please share the episode so we can get it in more people's ears and trying to hit number one in the relationships category in the US. What's up? So wherever you listen to this, if you can leave a five-star review and a written review, that is super helpful. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for trading your time and the desire you have for knowledge with me, with my work, with my efforts. It means honestly so, so, so much to me. I, I couldn't emit more gratitude. I hope you hear it in my voice and through my heart. That I'm so grateful that I have this opportunity to participate in these conversations with amazing people and with you. And without further ado, here is Amy I have brought back on my very good friend, Miss Amy Young. Hello, Amy Young. Hi, Mark Groves. Hello. So, Hola. I mean, I think the reason that you come with such popular demand is that when you and I sit down, we're just like, all right, let's just shake all filters. <laughs> <laughs> let's remove everything that's called a filter. Uh-huh. And let's just say what we think. Totally. Like not overcomplicated. I believe I've been told this most of my life, actually, that um, I say the things that people think but shouldn't actually say. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like that was um, something that got me in a lot of trouble as a kid. Mm -hmm. Because it'd be like, oh, you farted, you know, like I would be the one, or I'd say I farted, you know, like not many people claim that stuff. They do the the silent drive by. Ugh. The crop dust. The audacity. Oh, the bad. So I think it's a gift, though, in this day and age to not have a social filter for the most part. Like, don't yeah. Yeah, need, yeah, yeah. We need a few of them. But yeah, I'm a huge proponent. And this is something I've been working on more in my own life. And my clients are used to me hammering at home is like just total just transparency. Like just the freedom of being like, oh, I get to just express myself. I get and, to just be. Yeah. And even if, and I think what comes with it is that like, sometimes there's in order to do that, there's like a desire to just like, oh, because if I just show up authentically, then like everyone will accept it or it'll be fine. And it's like, it's, it's actually way more liberating to realize like, oh, people might not accept it or it won't be fine. And I can still have the conversation or I can still survive it and the world will keep spinning and and we'll maybe get to an even better place because we weren't pussyfooting around. It's so much easier. I feel like um in the speaking of truth, there's there's nothing to hide behind. Mm-hmm. You know, like the and it's not like we're the holders of the truth. That's certainly not true. But the I, what is that uh, there's like a quote that's something like you're as sick as your secrets. Mm-hmm. You know that that the softest pillow is one that doesn't contain lies, or I don't know. Oh, so, I don't yeah. know that one. Wow. But like when you sleep at night, yeah. You know, like I made a rule a long time ago that I would never let unspoken words sit between me and another. Mm-hmm. 
And that sucks, and that's a hard thing to live by. But it's the most freeing thing to live by because mm-hmm. I don't like – I went through the Rolodex, and it still happens, you know, where I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that thing or said that thing years ago. I should probably, like, maybe reach out and apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been so freeing. Mm-hmm. It is. It's definitely, like, lifts a weight off. Yeah, I remember reading some uh, – the book Stealing Fire. Mm, and it talks about like flow states and like how to get in flow states and how to do it with different ways, like surfing, sex, psychedelics, you know, uh, uh, those silence chambers, what are they called? Mm-hmm. Float tanks. Oh, yeah. And it was showing that in the research, when someone's in a flow state, their prefrontal cortex shuts down. So the part of their brain that is in charge of like creating who they are, the self. Mm-hmm. And so I thought to myself, like, well, if if in a flow state like surfing, you have to be in flow, you have to be in the moment, you can't think about other things or else you eat shit. Mm -hmm. So I thought like, imagine if you get, if you're in a conversation with someone and you're thinking about who you have to be, Mm -hmm. then you're actually not present because you're micro milliseconds behind because you're always thinking about who you need to be and what you're going to say. And so when you just say what you want to say, you're present. Yeah. And how much that creates an opening and an invitation for others to step into that with you if they're willing or wanting to. And if um, not, that's okay. All good, baby, baby. I've been having this <laughs> insane experience. So I've been doing some work with horses. I've been doing equine therapy. And the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways for me so far is you, you like can't bullshit a horse. <laughs> like <laughs> I feel like that's going to become like, a saying now. You can't bullshit a horse. You know, the like, goes. Uh, that's Amy Youngism. <laughs> but um, like you can't, the only way to connect with a horse is through authenticity or through your instinctive response or what's, what, what's true for you. So mm. like you can't, cause they're so sensitive. They feel you. They're they like, feel you, they read your nervous system, like they're responding to you in real time. And there'll be these crazy moments where I will notice my, like, I'll, I'll want to go over and like connect with this one horse, but I'll be like, Oh, but he's like eating something, but I don't want to interrupt, but that's weird or whatever. And then if I just shift in my head and I go, well, I can just give myself permission to just connect. I could just like go over there and say like the horse will come straight to me mm. and you know, and it's this wild thing of like, Oh wow. The difference between, to me, it's almost, it's as simple as like, okay, am I closed or am I open? You know, am I filtering my experience or am I unfiltering my experience? And I don't know, like to your point, I don't know that we ever want to, or should necessarily get to a place where it's like zero filters all the time. I'm going to like run around naked, you know, like an Easter day parade or something, but you go to jail usually, unless it's under the guise of feminist freedom. And (laughs) Actually, then you probably still go to jail. My apologies. That's... Um, something. There'd be repercussions. Of <laughs> there would be. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like how liberating it is when we let ourselves just tune in, like what's real for me in this moment. And can I just say that, you know, can I just share that and be vulnerable enough to, to let the chips fall where they may feel like that's often the feeling that we get when we don't want to say something to someone like on a date, for example, or ask a certain type of question, like, where are we at? Or what do you want in a relationship? What are you looking for? Which is such a normal first date filtration question. Yeah. 
But we're so afraid because we're like, well, what happens if they reject my request or don't want what I want? And it's like, it's not about the response. It's about the actual process of engaging in the conversation. I love the idea of what you said about the, in the equine, equine, is that right? equine, That's equine, horsey, whatever. Horse therapy. <laughs> That's such a cool thing because you think of you're like sitting in Starbucks and you see someone you'd like to engage in a conversation with that if you just thought like, oh, I, I might be interrupting them. I can be a bit of a bother. I yeah. don't want to take up space. But the healing is in the process regardless of what the response is to the, hey, are you enjoying that Caesar salad? You know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know the history of the Caesar salad? You know, I, then maybe that's a good intro. Do you know the history <laughs> of the Caesar salad? I know a little bit about the history of the Caesar salad. <laughs> Not enough to like win at a bar trivia though. I, I imagine if you went in energetically with that same, you know, like you said, you, you give yourself permission and then you move towards the horse and the horse decides with you Yeah, if they want to engage. Yeah. That is so true for humans. Why do Always. we think we're different? Always. It's like, it's, and it's such a liberating, because the other thing, I'm just going to talk about horses the whole time. The other thing that's so powerful is a horse about podcast it, now <laughs> is for horse lovers everywhere. It's like oh. you, sometimes you go over to a horse and they are doing their thing and they don't want to be interrupted. And I can invent a story about what that means about me, that it's like, oh, I picked the wrong time or I picked the wrong horse or this was rude of me or I shouldn't have done that. Or like, or I can just be like, this horse just didn't want to connect with me in this moment. Like, <laughs> that's completely so fine. It's not, not everything has to be about me all the time. And that's talk about like a lesson, I think, for all of us to just continuously learn. It's like, not everything is about you. Not everything is about you. In fact, I would argue most things aren't about you. And the way that we egoically and unconsciously will just invent the story of like, oh, I, yeah, I went over to that person, asked how the Caesar salad was, and they had their AirPods in and they were on the phone and I didn't see. I'm such an idiot. It's like, no, that's not what that means. (laughs) Like, that's not what that means at all. But we assign such dangerous meanings to those experiences. And then we let those meanings inform how we choose to live the rest of our lives. And before we know it, we're just so on autopilot, we don't even realize that we're doing this thing or that we're limiting ourselves in some way or closing ourselves off or, you know, it's really eye-opening. Yeah. These narratives, you know, when we give meanings to things, it's not usually in construction of our self-worth. It's usually like how to degrade ourselves or how to make ourselves feel like not enoughness. Yeah, And that's so the adulting version of expansion, which is we go from thinking the world is about us, which is very true of a child's mind. Like if, Mm -hmm. you know, parents get divorced, the child, you know, before uh, at a very young age will no matter what think the divorce is about me. Like I shouldn't have caused that fight or I misbehaved and then mom left and now she's gone forever or whatever it is. It's so interesting that the child connects how parents show up with their self-worth. But when we're adults, we do the same thing because we've never actually sat and nurtured the child's experience. Mm -hmm. So we don't know how to. I remember talking to my friend whose parent, you know, as they say, you're the best parent till you have kids. Uh, So I give great parenting advice. Um, But (laughs) this is a vis-a-vis someone else. Okay. And he was talking to his wife with me and they were talking about, they have two boys and one of the boys was like crying and about something. They're both under the age of four. 
And she said to him, I'm, I need to go get him. And he's like, are you getting him for you or for him? Mm. And I was like, whoa, shit, create the parenting. What's up? This is, <laughs> and I, we started to talk about it and just how the feeling she was uncomfortable with feeling was the feeling she's uncomfortable with feeling mm -hmm. that she'd never sat through. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't want him to experience it. So in, is it really was a very interesting mirror. And I just think of that, that if we haven't sat through discomfort, if we haven't sat through the pain of loneliness, we'll just seek another, we'll just seek to replace feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and that's easy to do. I mean, we do it with drugs, we do it with alcohol, we do it with sex, we do it with sugar. Bagels. I mean, ba all dressed. Yeah. Bagels <laughs> with Montreal smoked meat. What does all dressed mean? They just have a bunch of different spices on. Them. Oh, like an everything bagel. I think. Yeah, I yeah, think your this... Canadianism is showing. It's an all dressed bagel. I've never heard that before. Okay, it might actually be called an everything bagel, and I just rebranded it as an all dressed bagel. Oh. I like all dressed. It sounds good. It sounds fancier. Sounds like a lot of layers. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, is it spring or winter or summer? <laughs> I don't know. I'm picturing. Do you remember like um, Friends when Joey Tribbiani like put all of Chandler's clothes on? There's, I'm sure there's like a GIF of it. Something and he just walked in. He's wearing. He's all dressed. <laughs> like, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. I watched that show, but I was more like, "This is our age difference." Because I was more of a Seinfeld. Oh, like Seinfeld came right before Seinfeld, Friends. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like the other day I was talking to a friend's girlfriend. And I was like, have you seen the Goonies? And she was like, uh, what's the Goonies? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, how old are you? She's like 25. I'm like, oh, oh well, there we God, go. Yeah. yeah, you're probably into like the Teletubbies or something. <laughs> yeah. Cartoons got super weird as I got older. Yeah, really trippy. Like even the Power Rangers were kind of weird. Oh, I was into the Power Rangers. I don't know, but I didn't have good taste as a child. Like I'm not. I'm I don't think all children do. Like I look back at the cartoons that I watched and they garbage. were garbage. Just... The cartoon quality. Really like junky. Kids today don't know what such a 2D experience was like. They're like, did you draw this with a wide <laughs> pencil? Like, this is awful. This is like a Microsoft Paint exploration. <laughs> Microsoft yeah. Paint. They use one an etch. Did they etch a sketch your cartoon? Seriously. Yes, they did. If you don't know what an etch a sketch is, Google it. Ugh. So, because we've had such, I mean, we had an episode that we did about saying no to unavailable men forever, mm -hmm. uh, unavailable people forever. People. Yeah. Um, and that of course resonates very well with lots of people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I did a little pulling of questions to, I thought we could just do a Q and a sort of rapid fire. Now here's the caveat I'm going to add to this. I have not pre-read any of these questions. Oh, fun. I know. So I'm going to try to make them make sense. The reason I don't like to pre-read things, people listening, you listening, who's like, if you were organized, you'd pre-read things. One, I've never been that organized. So that's mm -hmm. an expectation never put on me. Number two is I don't like to prepare for things because then I don't feel like I'm present. Mm -hmm. Like then I'm thinking about the answer and I've already like thought about the answer. I'm very much like remove the filter between what I think I should say and what I say so that we can be present. Mm -hmm. So give that five stars. What's up? Okay. <laughs> you ready? I'm so ready. So I figure like I'll ask it, you launch, and then I'll, uh, I don't know. Well, damn Why am it. I thinking about it? I just said, don't think about it. Yeah, okay. Fucking, think. fucking stop it. Okay. Uh. How do you deal? Oh, this is good. <laughs> this is good. Okay, cool. Oh my God, I'm so excited. How do you deal with your partner staying in touch as friends with an ex, either phone 
social media or in person? Okay, this one's going to get more complex. What if they still share kids, dogs, social circles? Okay, so let's just, what do we think about staying in touch with an ex? Let's assume no kids. Okay, so this is hard for a number of reasons because I believe that ex-friends, it's like navigating that is an art and not a science. And I think this is one of those situations where people very often want to be able to create these clear rules about like, this is what's appropriate and this is what's not appropriate. And if I have a metric system for it, then I can look (laughs) at my partner's behavior and I can clearly identify what's appropriate and not appropriate. Like an algorithm. Yes. Like, is there a rubric for like, (laughs) it's okay if you text her, but like if she's sending you pictures, that's not okay. Like just text, you know, like never cat. what are the lines? Um, and I think, and I say this all the, I do, I use that line of times. Like this is an art and not a science. And I believe that about all relational agreed stuff in general, my feelings about friends with exes tend to go kind of one of two ways. One is how you feel about your ex have not how you feel about how you feel about your partner being friends with their ex to me will tell you a lot about how you feel about your partner in general. Tell us more about this in the sense that if you're getting to know one another, right. And they share like, Oh, I have, you know, this is a really good friend of mine and they're completely transparent and above board. It's not the kind of thing where like five months in you find out like, Oh, you and Stephanie used to bone like, and now you're telling me that's a little bit of a different situation, but let's say that it's like (laughs) completely clear and your automatic response is jealous, you know, insecure, feeling threatened. That is like, those are juicy nuggets for you to kind of sink your teeth into and just go, Oh, okay. Like what's coming up for me? Because I don't have, I might not have any evidence yet to support the idea that this person is a threat other than the fact that they have a history together. But if they're transparent about it, if they're sharing, if the relationship seems clean, if they can talk to me about it, if it's, if they're integrating, if they want me to meet Stephanie, if they're like, it's super important to me that I think that's so you. Yeah. Is that if your partner is not actively encouraging you to become friends no matter your gender combination, yeah. if the gender that your partner's friends with is the gender that you tend to be attracted to or everything in between, mm-hmm. then it is important that you prioritize that they at least have a connection. And Absolutely. If there is any hiding. secrecy or hiding, yeah, no bueno. there's not even a red flag. That's a base camp at Everest. That would go on the rubric. <laughs> That's on the rubric. So we have a decision tree. Do they help. And if you're someone who's friends with someone who's in a relationship, it's a red flag that they're not introducing you to their partner. I agree with that. That's a setup for secrecy and for triangulation where they're like telling this person or friend about their pain and not their partner about their Mm -hmm. pain. Mm -hmm. That's a setup. That's a slippery slope. All of a sudden you'll be falling into their pain. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, as much as possible. So here's the thing though, I've worked with women who it's like, their partner's like following the rubric. You know what I mean? Where it's like, he's super honest. He's super open. Like I've met her. It seems super clean and clear. And no matter what I do, I can't shake this feeling of like, this is a threat or I feel insecure or I compare myself to this person. When that's the case, like I said, you know, juicy nuggets is just another way of saying like, you got some work to do there. That's about you. That's about you. That's about you. And there's something there that's really worth looking at, especially if, 
sometimes how this stuff will translate is because instead of dealing with our own stuff, what would we rather do? Well, maybe you shouldn't be friends with Stephanie anymore. You know, like Stephanie doesn't seem like, so why great. Why are you friends with Stephanie? Yeah. I remember a friend of mine telling me a story about him and his partner. And at the time I was dating a woman. Um, this is like maybe seven years ago. And I was also friends with a girl that I used to, you know, participate in. Uh, the I like they used to participate. Oh, I thought you were just going to say I used to participate in her. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I used to participate in and outside of her a lot. That sounds weird. Yeah. But so, yes. Yeah, so in, in essence, we had been intimate many times over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, not we were just friends at this yeah. point. And my friend said to me, um, well, which connection is more important to you? And I was like, well, obviously my connection with my partner. And he's like, is it though? Because based, like, what does this other woman provide to your life? And mm-hmm. I was like, he's like, you got lots of friends. And I was like, that's true. And he's like, so why? And I was like, man, I, I don't know. I think I'm just like afraid to let it go. Like afraid to hurt her feelings if I was to end that friendship or for whatever reason. And he's like, so you prioritize that over your connection. And I was like, mm, when the truth hits you in the junk, you feel it. The worst. And I then ended that friendship in a loving way. Yeah. You know, I was like, hey, you know, this isn't honoring my relationship. Yeah. And of course, a woman who understands that goes, or a man or a person goes, yeah, I actually get that. Or they might have curiosity about it. Why is that? Is there something I've done? Mm-hmm. You know, have we? And it's like, no, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just what I, it's what I want to create in my relationship. Yeah. And that's, I think you're just highlighting the importance and this is across the board, but you know, especially around topics like this that can be more sensitive, just how important everyone needs to be so clean and clear and conscious, you know, about like, how does this person fit into my life? Why am I holding onto them? Like, is there a part of me that's insecure about, you know, maintaining this relationship and also exploring this new relationship? Like, it's so amazing the ways that we can kind of we just avoid like that's really what it is at the end of the day it's like you just kind of can let yourself avoid things or just not want to have to acknowledge like oh this i just haven't wanted to cut the cord here for xyz number of reasons for all the reasons but here's a question for you now let's say that your partner at the time had been the person to come to you and say well why is she in your life would you that conversation have gone the same way do you think yeah cuz what initiated the conversation with him was that she, she had actually, brought up. She had brought that up. And then I was I was holding it because I was like, well, I'm friends with her. There's nothing there. And, yeah. You know, it's in the past. And then I went to a friend who I just really trusted it as advice. And I just wanted to get sort of a mirror because I couldn't remove totally. myself from it. Yeah. And when I got his advice, I went back to her and said, like, I hear you. And that actually makes a lot of sense. And I see the impact that I've had. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to change that. And so I did. Mm-hmm. And I think when I've had partners in the past bring up like friendships, it's because I haven't created safety around the friendship, maybe just unconsciously, like not thinking about it. But in my last relationship, I was always very proactive about all my friendships to be friendships with her and those even to become primary friendships, as you know, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you became friends with her too. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, and that was also very clearly communicated in the relationship she had with men who didn't want to be who weren't making an effort to get to know me, that was a red flag to me, that there was no effort, Mm -hmm. um, which you usually find is because they have an intention. Yeah. You know, 
to not create any safety with someone who's in a relationship, I think is uh, a bit of a flag. Problematic. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So the second part, I think, is like social media. I mean, I don't follow any of my exes on social media that I have, like ones from so long ago. It just, mm-hmm. I mean, what's the point? But when you break up with someone, I think there's like a boundary that needs to have happen. You know, like if you're going in and I mean, this is a whole other subject, but if you're like on Instagram and you're following like models and porn stars and weird shit like that, to me personally, I think that's a little bit like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Like you're thirst trapping yourself. Like, what Mm -hmm. the fuck are you doing? Like, Mm -hmm. so I'll get that question a lot of like, what do you do when your partner follows like hot models and pictures and likes them? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you talk to them about it. (laughs) Yeah. Get curious. And if the guy or girl, but I think we can genderize this one. It's usually a man. Um, I don't know. I'm following so many beefcake accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah. banana hammocks. And- I've noticed your uh, abolitious came up the other day. Ad abolitious. Ad abolitious. That's probably yeah. a really an actual an Instagram. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Instagram girls with irrelevant captions? No. <laughs> it is the best. I don't know. I forget who created it, but I love it because they feature dudes too. Mm-hmm. But it's like, when the Malibu fires were on, there was like a chick in a bikini and these fires in the background. And they're like sending love to Malibu. Like it had nothing. Anyways, <laughs> that's that's a, horrible. But like, <sighs> like I've seen so many peace signs thrown up by people just to be in a big, like, yay. Oh, and the holding of the bottom of the ponytail, the edge of the pool with the bathing suit up the it's butt. It's I mean, it's, Instagram it's, is, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's, funny i like to try to guess the caption like saturdays or missing summer yeah like it's so obviously used as a way to like i love my coffee black and it's like (laughs) just them in a bikini with a cup of coffee and you're like that has nothing to do with anything to do i know like likes are really important like getting likes all the time right at any cost it's like just get the likes you know I find it fascinating to look, and I know we're going a bit off. No, we're on topic. Yeah. This is my podcast. Mm-hmm. The the, But where if you look at someone's Instagram, you can actually, and I'd love for people who are listening to like start observing this. And if it's your own Instagram, hey, hey, uh, I mean, if this is kind of annoying you. Yeah. Um, is where you can actually start to see where they start to sexualize themselves more. And mm-hmm. then they started to get more interaction and more likes. And then their Instagram becomes sexualized. Yeah. Really fascinating to observe. Yeah. Like where I'm like, hmm, you started to convert your worth to likes. And you saw where you could get some traffic, quote unquote. Yeah. I mean, I just think that Instagram is changing our brains in so many ways that we don't understand yet. And it's going to be like really uncomfortable when all the data and the research finally gets compiled. <laughs> well, I know when they look at the research on like Google and match.com yeah. and those types of things that like who we are is so we're actually all quite devious. We all have weird sexual thoughts, which we already know that because we have thoughts. Yeah. We just don't say them. No. This is why I think the constructs of any religion, culture, family that really um, shame any form of sexuality, which is most, religions Mm -hmm. and most cultures Mm -hmm. uh as soon as you shame anything sexual and you are a sexual being you are so like primarily you can't actually argue that so you can try to but i won't listen 
the, the, if you are sexual and you experienced any form of sexual shaming in your upbringing, then a part of you, if you participate in that belief system, has to believe you, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And the undoing of that is a lot of work. I mean, I'm a recovering Catholic. I have had to do a lot of work in just understanding that of like, wait, sexuality is okay. Mm-hmm. Being clear and constructive with it, you know, that type of thing. Being intentional with our sexuality mm-hmm. and our sexual energy. Mm. Yeah. And being, um, I think also like being really honest with ourselves about what's influenced different, like something that I see, oh, and I hope this isn't, well, if it upsets people, it upsets people. But I think one of the challenges of being like a fully expressed, empowered women, woman these days um, is really figuring out like, well, what does empowered sexuality or what does empowered self-expression look like to me? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I use the example all the time of like um, Samantha from Sex in the City. That was such like an iconic like other end of the spectrum representation of like, Oh my God, this woman who's just like catches dick all day (laughs) and is like unapologetic about it and just owns it. You know, I, I would, I think I was like in high school and then college, I got really into sex in the city and me and all my friends were like, well, who are we? You know, like, which, Oh yeah. I do remember those conversations happening. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where we have these limited archetypes kind of in pop culture, what we see that will light these fires of like, oh, that's what it's like. So like empowered sexuality is catching dick 24 seven and being unapologetic about it. Yeah. You know, or it's like, or it is like, you know, showing up on Instagram, wearing a bikini and like owning my body and, and appreciating it. And it's like, yes. And also maybe no. Like that's mm. one version. It's not the only version. And what's so hard about it is for so long, you know, women especially, but men obviously have their own sex stuff and uh, as well. But women have been sort of pigeonholed into like, this is the one version of what it can look like. And you need mm. to know, and it's like the purer you are, the better you are, the lower your number is, the, you know, the longer you make somebody wait, like all of that stuff, the better it is that we're so unfamiliar with these shades of gray. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got you. We're so unfamiliar with it. And we're so, um, it takes so much self-exploration. And I've gone through this too, of being like, well, where are the lines for me? You know, because it's not just about- like, What's empowerment and what's exploitation. Exactly. And it's different for every single yes. human being. It absolutely is. And it's, I want to pre-qualify everything I'm about to say with the fact that I recognize that I am a white straight male and I recognize my privilege. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I need to do that because (laughs) I try to look through the lens of so many lenses that I have to learn through like women like you and people of color and just like recognizing I never know what that's part of the privilege. I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And what I find is interesting is that there is that line, of course. I was listening to Gabrielle uh, Reese on Joe Rogan's podcast. And before I actually say that, I was also listening to Esther Perel speak at a conference. And she said, the oldest trade system is men traded power for sex and women traded sex for power. And we're holding men accountable for their use of, of, and abuse of power. But what are we doing with women? 
And I thought that's fascinating. That has to be said by a woman. Of course, I I 100% agree with that. And I thought it was, it just stirred up curiosity in me because I was like, okay, the Me Too movement and this calling down of power and the abuse of power. Absolutely. And then I heard Gabrielle Reese on Joe Rogan's podcast. And she's like this super empowered, super volleyball superstar from the US volleyball team. She's married to Laird Hamilton. I mean, their kids must be giant and tall and super athletes. And the kid probably rode a wave out in the delivery room. <laughs> um, but what I thought was really neat is she has two daughters. And she said, I'm so excited to be a woman today with two daughters. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, because never have we been more empowered. Never have we had more um, like the Me Too movement and the conversations about consent and sexual empowerment. But also never have women um, objectified themselves more. Mm-hmm. And she said, like, when I speak to my daughters, I say, you know, they're beautiful women. Da, 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 da. And she said, like, I say to them, like, it, what do you want to hang your hat on? Because one of them uh, will disappear, your beauty, mm-hmm. eventually in societies. And she talked about how, like, a woman's value sexually sort of goes down as they age. Mm-hmm. And she said, but if you place your value in who you are, then it will never go. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa, what a beautiful conversation to, like, begin to have. Um, and I am never going to be one to have an opinion about who's right to what is exploitation versus empowerment. But I do think as with like men have to, we really have to look and people empower actually, cause it, I don't think it necessarily matters. The gender mm-hmm. is that I've seen women empower, exploit and not be kind and, and, and do things. Sure. I think we just have more evidence cause there's been more men in power, obviously historically. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really scary, but also essential conversation. So I, I always want to preface this with it's hard to say the right words in the right order if they've never been spoken. Mm-hmm. So I hope that people can have compassion and grace for even just sharing what I just have had as a thought yeah. process. Yeah. I couldn't imagine what it would be like being a woman in the narratives that we've received, we being humans, but especially women. In the research, women get bored with monogamy faster, but that is certainly not what we would hear. Mm-mm. You know, Esther Perel talks about how like we had these messages for men that are like, boys will be boys and, mm-hmm. and they'll just cheat. And that's just the way it is. But that's not, we also believe that me, part of being masculine is having a high sex drive. But if you're a woman, no, no, you're just yeah. present for sex. Yeah. You just serve. And that's crazy to think like not that long ago, marital right was a thing that you could just have sex with your wife when you wanted to. Not even thinking or taking into account that (laughs) she might not want to. Mm -hmm. Like, that wasn't that long ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, we are, we are walking among landmines here. I like, there's things that I want to say that I'm like, well, you know what? We said we were going to unfilter. So maybe. Yeah. Like, I just think it's such a a beautiful thing to talk about because it's, one, it's a scary conversation, but I think if yeah. you're not having scary conversations, then who's having them? And then how do we know yeah. how to have them? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I remember when sort of when Me Too was first initially trending on mm-hmm. Twitter, like that week was like devastating to me. Like I just felt, I mean, I feel a lot just for women in general, like when stuff is happening with women on like a global level, like I, it impacts me and like gets me in a way like that's all my sacred rage lives there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember think I was having conversations with people about consent conversations with friends where we hadn't even known like, well, am I consenting or am I not like what's yeah. right here? Because 
I know, I think for almost any woman, you know, you, you will argue with yourself, like being on a date with a guy and feeling like I want to, but I shouldn't, but then I should, but then I can't, but then like, we don't even, we don't have full access to our own yes or no, Mm. those moments. Cause we're, there's like too many different, um, there's too many different inputs at that point in time of like, how am I going to be perceived and what is his perspective going to be? And yeah, what, like, what was I told about sex growing up and what would my mom think? And, Mm. you know, and all of these fears and feelings come up and something I've, I've just struggled with and sat with and something I wanted to write about, but obviously it's such a nuanced topic is, you know, it's not surprising to me that we have all these issues with consent and understanding, well, what's a no. And for men to really understand clearly, well, what's a no. And, and I have said before, you know, we really haven't given women full permission to even say yes to sex. Mm, but, to like stand in their full yes or their full no. So why yeah. would we let them say no? It's like, mm. we don't even let women like, well, and when I say let, I mean, there's repercussions for it, you know, or there's, there's like social costs. There's, there's clauses. Costs. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, if you say full yes, just no, like there's ways that it could be interpreted or you could be sending the wrong signal or, you Your know, number could get too high. You could be seen as slutty, slutty. Uh, sexually empowered. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really fucking messy. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited that we are having more of these conversations just because I think that's the only way progress really happens is when we allow ourselves to have discourse and communication and to be open and to kind of wade through the messiness of it. But I think especially as a woman, for me, it's, it's such kind of a reckoning to have to look at all of the ways in which what I was taught or told to be sexually or not, and then to have to kind of come up with your own version of like, okay, so, but what's like really, really true and right for me, not what mm-hmm. I think someone else wants, not what I think is going to, you know, be exciting to someone or, you know, like, what do I really, and, and that's, I think, I mean, in so many ways, those those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves in all areas of life in relationships, sexually or otherwise. Right. It's like, well, what do I really want? Like, what are my needs? What are my standards? What are my, totally? and and what have I allowed that actually hurt me? Mm -hmm. Like, where did I not honor my no, Mm -hmm. like me internally, but then said yes, even though there's a no. Yeah. I, I so appreciate you sharing that. I, I mean, I was really blessed and continue to be blessed to be around really powerful women. Mm-hmm. And that started with my mom. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think made me so drawn to being in relationship with and also friendship with really powerful women. Uh, my mom was by every right a feminist when I was growing up, uh, probably overtly and, <laughs> and in a beautiful way, though, because it really made me want to understand all of it. Um, and what's cool is like Kai and I were dating when the Me Too movement went out. And, and so I got to observe her response to it and ask people like you and, uh, you know, like I am her tribe, Danielle mm-hmm. Dobie. I remember her sharing a lot with me. And I felt a lot of, um, I would say, like potential shame and pain myself when that came out, because I thought, well, I for sure have objectified women. You know, like I've, I've leered at them, I've, you know, like in just like not thinking with my limbic brain, you know, it's like, or sorry, thinking with my limbic brain. And I felt this sort of collective shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting to examine because I started to think like, why are men not speaking out on this? Which is what made me speak more at that time. But I thought, I think it's because we can all look back to a moment and think like, 
maybe I did say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And I think um, because we didn't want to get like, hey, you did that in the past or, you know, we didn't want to have to face the shame. Mm -hmm. So we just went quiet. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope at least that in this conversation, it inspires if you're male or identify in that way that there is or even female in experiencing that, that it's like we turn towards it. And we like to have these conversations, man, it's a, it for sure is like landmine central. And that also means it's a really important thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think there's a lot of, for me, it would be very, I've waded in and out of the waters of villainizing men throughout all of this, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's actually a, ton of, there's been a ton of relief and healing for me in recognizing that we truly are in this together Mm -hmm. and that, um, and in having to look at the ways and it was like, there were things that I just didn't, I did not want to like, look at male pain. I didn't want to think about how this was impacting men. I was like, this is not about them, but it kind of has to be about them because they're major players. And so, you know, so it's like, and to be, for me to not allow for their voices to be in the mix, even if I don't like what they're saying, it's like, no, I have to, we have to be engaging in this way and being open with each other. Like how else are we going to figure out a way through it? Yeah. I'm all about bridging the gap right now. Like, well, especially because silence for men or like shutting down their voices, the, not that that is true. And if that's triggering for people, I just mean, if we have an opinion about it yeah. or a thought on it or feeling about it, it's like the very thing we've been requesting for men is to feel, I know. to be open. Yeah. And I think for like, when I look and I ha- I'm definitely going to do an article on this, but I've really thought about this, like forgotten generation of men that like, no one really invited their feelings. They're all in their seventies, eighties, nineties, sixties, fifties, forties, right? Like they're a whole generation that masculinity involved no emotional space. Mm-hmm. So they don't even know how to connect to a form of empathy because no one's ever exhibited empathy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that as a victim. So I'm just saying that as like cultural it's just what happened. factors. Yeah. yeah. You know, like so many of us, I'm blessed to be different, but so many males have fathers who have no emotion, no emotional space. They don't even hug their sons, you know, and that would be devastating mm-hmm. because what is that model? You know, I'm, one thing that was interesting that Esther Perel talked about uh, is that she said in North America and yeah, mainly North America, the instruction about sex is one, there's a lot of states that teach abstinence. This isn't true as much in Canada, but I can't speak for all of Canada. But in all states that teach abstinence, the teen pregnancy rate is higher and the STI really rates rude. are far higher. So it shows you that that doesn't work. Secondly, she talks about how in Europe, they teach sex in the context of relationships. So it's not like a separate subject. Mm -hmm. It's like they start teaching at age four that if you like someone, you might hold their hand, but it has nothing to do with romantic love, Mm -hmm. right? But they start to say that the interaction physically and intimately is relational. And so what happens is, is as kids who go through that process age, there's not like a space where sex is different than relationship, that it's a different subject. Mm-hmm. And so she said, what ends up happening is when you associate um, like abstinence and the lack of education and empowerment, then what happens is, is people don't know how to be in that space without being in shame. So what they do is they drink 
and they get drunk for their first experience, which is actually one of the most beautiful experiences, but is associated with disassociation. Mm -hmm. And so then they're not even present for their sexual experience. And I thought, whoa, that is so, so true that we are like, I think we're starting to go about it right. You know, like teachers have the hardest job Mm -hmm. and the most important job, I think, in a lot of ways on, on top of parents. But I feel like teachers take up a lot of space where parents don't step in or step yeah. up. Yeah. And we expect them to teach all this curriculum and then not talk. I mean, they. I have so many friends who are teachers who like invest their own money into stuff at their school. I know. And their time. And we pay them like one of the lowest paying positions when it literally has more impact on our future and our healthcare system than anything. I know. This Q&A is super great. We really stayed right on. So how do you deal with staying in touch with the friends? Wait, did we only get through one question? That's all we've done so far. Um, So that was, I mean, hey, everybody. So that was, I mean. Worthy conversation. Do you have anything more to say on that subject? Um, Because I feel like I love your fire. And I love your passion. And I know yeah. this, you and I have both conversed about this. That is, this is yeah, like yeah, yeah. an area of healing, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for any, so I'll just share for when I was, like I said, navigating this uncomfortable space between being like, how do I honor female like heartache and rage and hurt and sadness, but not not make men my enemy or not Mm. feel like men. I I say a lot of times I'll say like, look, patriarchy is a problem. Men are not the enemy. Men are in many ways, victims of the patriarchy as well, just incredibly different ways. Agreed. Something that a coach kind of suggested to me and it was really, and it's like opened my heart up in so many huge ways. It's like, you know, when you're, if you find yourself making judgments about men or or thinking like, oh yeah, like it's just a pig or they're just trash or they're just, or you, you can't trust them or whatever. You know, she said, look at a man and think about, I wonder the last time that he was really allowed to cry. Like when was the last time, like when was the first time that maybe someone said to him like, hey, like don't cry, you know, you're a big boy or something. Like mm-hmm. think about what his relationship was like with his grandmother when he was little. Like imagine what, it was like for him on Christmas morning when he got the toy that he really, really wanted. And it was this sort of strange practice of kind of realizing, like, it sounds pathetic, but I had to do this. It doesn't sound pathetic, but I'm judging myself in it. But it's like, of being like, holy shit, like men are full-blown people with like hearts and hurts and histories And it's been more convenient and comfortable for me as a woman and as a feminist to act as if that wasn't the case Mm. to, so that I could feel like my own hurt and pain was got to be more deeply acknowledged because I didn't know how to acknowledge my own hurt and pain and also acknowledge someone else's hurt and pain who I felt like maybe was like the perpetrator of my hurt and pain. And through me kind of unraveling and untangling my own judgments, fears, mistrust, discomfort with men, like the collective of like who I believe men to be, it actually creates so much more space for healing on both sides. Like, cause that's really to me what the goal is. Like the goal is healing and the goal is unity. And we don't achieve healing and unity by 
being punitive. Or for me, it's like, you know, there's space for anger, but at a certain point it's like, well, I can't let my anger drive me to a place where I'm, I'm, you know, thinking that, well, men need to be punished or they need to just sit down or they need to just shut up. Like Mm. for me, that was getting to a place where it was like, this is more destructive than constructive. Yeah. And I had to call myself out. And as someone who identifies, I mean, I'm a women's coach. Like if you look at any of my YouTube videos, I've had no problem calling men out on any number of things forever. But I've had to take a hard look at like, what is that actually really in service of? Is that really in service of my larger goal? Is it? Um, Or does does that have to have a shelf life so that I can move beyond it? You know, in the same way that I think for anyone, if if you look at, if we kind of, that's like on a macro level, but on the micro level, you know, you could look at like a relationship with a parent who wasn't there for you or didn't show up for you. Or, you know, we all have like big T, little T trauma from, from childhood. And it's like, you know, yes, there's importance in acknowledging the hurt and letting yourself be angry and being like, my needs didn't get met and that wasn't okay. And then at a certain point, it's like, okay, so what, where do I go beyond that? And I think the place where most of us eventually land, or I know like where I've landed in my own journey with family is being like, oh yeah, my parents are fucking people. Mm. Like my parents are people and they were doing the best that they can. They're children of parents. Always. And perfect parents. And that's all of us. Like everyone Mm -hmm. is, is, um, I really do believe and stand firm in this space of like, everyone is doing the best that they can. And that's a gift that I give to myself first, you know, like, cause when I believe that I'm more compassionate and kind and open and loving and less angry and pissed off and annoyed and resentful. And because I give that gift to myself of believing everyone's doing the best that they can, other people get to benefit as well. Hmm. Amen to all of that. I've had, uh, with the week that me too came out, I just want to share one of my experiences of sort of been like getting a beautiful mirror is I wrote a post that said you comma two. Mm. And I just wrote about my experience of being like, I feel like I'm holding shame here. I feel like, um, I want to apologize for how I've showed up or sexualized or, you know, used or whatever it is. And so many comments were like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And there was this really amazing woman who commented on my post. Uh, Initially, I didn't think she was that amazing because it was slightly triggering. But I realized that whenever I get triggered, I need to get curious because there's really something coming up for me to be healed in their shame, probably. And she said, I'm not going to sit here and thank you for just being a good human. Like, how insane is it that this standard, you're being thanked for just being, for just showing up. Mm -hmm. But like, it's, we have sort of experienced that just showing up in this state with empathy is actually something to be celebrated in a high standard. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I I reached out to her and I was like, tell me more about that because I feel a bit triggered. So I want to understand it. And we had this amazing dialogue. I learned so much from her. And she also was like, I've had some pain with men. So I was reactive to you. Mm. And it was really this cool, like if you were an observer on my comments, no one would have ever thought we would have ever found this beautiful space. Yeah. And I think like from that, what my, because I, I love your invitation to women to like take this different space and to see it in a different space because it offers this olive branch mm-hmm. and this open, this channel. And for me, it is like, as men, I think we 
need to really turn towards the part of us that the shadow part of us, the part of us that may be afraid of, of actually looking at how we haven't shown up. Mm-hmm. You know, like I see so much where a partner and I'm going to speak in gender normatively, but this will be true of all gender combinations. Um, when a partner says, I really want to work on things and I feel disconnected from you, women initiate divorce more than men. It takes about two years from the day that woman says this, but it could be a man says, I feel disconnected. It takes about two years from that day for them to leave. Mm-hmm. When they leave, they're not coming back. Mm-hmm. And I think as men, we're so afraid to face our shit. We're afraid to say yes to therapy because we know that something's going to be found there. And this isn't obviously true just for men. I just think it's true more so for men because we've been taught to be afraid of our feelings and to not have them because you're a pussy and all the things. Mm-hmm. But if we do not, this world won't get healed. Mm-mm. You know, and like women can't save us. We've been asking them to make our lunch and be ready for us when we get home. They're not going to save us now. They're done with us in terms of fucking saving us. Mm-hmm. We have to step up. Mm-hmm. And I think that work just comes from like, doing your own inner work. You know, it's like heal yourself, heal the world. Mm-hmm. I'm like a firm believer of that. And like, mm-hmm. there's, if there's ever a time for men to do that, it's now because like, I can see that we are like desperately wanting to feel each other and hold male friendships. And mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, I hung out with two of my buddies last week, uh, um, Jeremy Goldberg and Dallas Harwick. Mm. And we like had a time where we were listening to like, <laughs> you know, acoustic folk music and we were laughing because we were all sort of emotionally communicating, talking about something. Mm. And we're like, wow, is this ever like such a different, like there's probably, you know, women doing the exact same thing right now all over the place. And we yeah. feel special, although we're not. Yeah. Um, it was just this really neat moment to think like, we all need this, this like permission, I think. Everybody does. Yeah. Everybody does. The breath of humanity, this like community yeah you know and i think about growing up it's like on a soccer team i was really blessed to be around really amazing men growing up and that emotion really wasn't shamed for the most part but it's not like you go into those like greater male circles and it's like tell me how great of a monogamous person you've been you know like (laughs) like dude you're really doing boyfriend well I noticed that like you're high a five. amazing partner. You listen so well. Yeah, I know. So I think this is like, uh, although this started as a Q and a, what did we get into? But such an essential conversation of like, yeah. the more you soften to yourself, the more you can soften to another. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for the voice you share. Like you're hilarious. Although I don't think our hilarity really came out as much today. Um, but the breadth of um, our friendship and mm-hmm. the space we hold for one another. Actually, the other thing I want to say is like, I found that in the experience of observing powerful women in my life go through that and continue to, one thing I have to say was really helpful in growth for me was like holding space for their experience to be theirs mm-hmm. and observe that I wanted to defend or protect the mm-hmm. idea of men. And protect myself Mm -hmm. and like protect the shame I was holding and like, but instead I just like held the space for that and then just like communicated my experience of it. And it was this really cool where I didn't take away because I was, I so wanted to save my, the people who were really impacted by that. I wanted to save them from the pain, but I think in a, 
in another way, like save men from the responsibility of a lot of pain mm-hmm. and our own. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's important to hold is like, don't make someone else's pain or shame or transformation be about you either. I guess that circles back to. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, like, I think it's also just this skill of really being able, like just being able to name what's going on for you. Right. Like just being able, like, there's a part of me right now that wants to defend, but I want to show up for you at the same time. And like, I don't understand, or I'm in conflict, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the ability like I had a conversation, you know, with my, my partner at the time where he, he said a similar thing that he was just like, it's really helpful to me to be able to like see and really witness how this is impacting you. Cause it's helping me understand like, Oh, cause he's had, he was like, I've had conversations with guy friends and stuff where it's like, well, like, what do they want? You know, like this stuff happened, like how long are you going to be upset for? And he's like seeing and understanding like, Oh, you're, you're still really angry and you're still really hurt. Mm-hmm. And when we're really angry and we're really hurt, we don't just want it to be all better just yet. You know, it's like, we don't just want to move past it and be like, no. Oh, it's fine. It's like, no, there's like a, there's a purge that's happening and that needs to happen. And, um, all of us being able to hold space for it together, I think is what the most healing thing is. And that's the uncomfortable thing right now is there are all these weird party lines or these ways that we create division. Um, and you know, and I think being able to show up for each other and being able to ask for what we need to, and, you know, and being able to say like, I just want to be angry right now, or that's just what I need. Like I'm just, or I'm just hurting or I'm just heartbroken. Mm. Um, so it's definitely, it's like good practice for everyone. Yeah. That male desire to just like want to fix, want to yeah, like, take away. Like, this is not a quick fix. <laughs> it's like maybe take a breath there, buddy, sit back. And that's such a practice for us to like hold quote unquote, the space of masculine, mm-hmm. which I think is more about actually just holding space. It doesn't have to be masculine or feminine. It's just like, and saying, what do you need from me right now? Instead of assuming what someone needs, because it might be like, I just need you to hold me or I need mm-hmm. you not to, or I need you to hold a pillow out while I rage, yeah. you know, like whatever it is. Yeah. Amy Young. Yeah. You are one of my favorite human beings on the planet. You're one of my faves ever. And ever. You're so funny. And just like, <laughs> you're such a, just a tremendously open person who's always, always, always mm-hmm. trying to do life a little better. Oh, thank so, you. No, I'm grateful seriously. for you. I'm so grateful for you and just everything that you are and the work that you do. And you are, you're one of those people I think you are for anyone, you know, who gets to have you in their life or, I mean, anyone who gets to follow you the standard to which you hold yourself and live your life is so inspirational and admirable and makes me raise my game. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for that. A standard fucking, it's hard to hold, <laughs> but it's a, uh, it's, it, it's interesting. Cause like, I think a lot of the reason I started my work is that I knew that I would always have to hold the level of integrity that I demanded, like yeah. or invited people to, because mm-hmm. you can't really say like, Hey, do this thing. I'm going to go do another thing. Totally. <laughs> doesn't work that way. No. So where do people find you, Amy Young? My website is amyyoungcoaching.com. If you want to learn more about me and my work in the world, if you want to follow me on Instagram, um, I'm at amyyoungco. Amazing. 
Thank you so much for your time for the Q and A. We did such we did such a good job. Thank you for all of those questions you all submitted. Because, <laughs> no. I think we'll just have to do an Instagram live where we do a. Q&A. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, that we'll sounds like a better idea. No, but this was a, this was a good combo for us to have. We didn't have the conversation we planned to have. We had the conversation that was we were meant to have. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.